You are now listening to the Life on Repeat podcast with Laura Valancourt, licensed mental health counselor, geriatric mental health specialist, and elder care coach. I'm so happy that you found us. So welcome everyone. I am so thrilled to have Sarah Wasser on our podcast today. And I've had the pleasure of knowing Sarah for several years. She works in uh, the same community that I work in. She has over 12 years of social work experience working with older adults and their families as they navigate the complexities of aging in place. She currently has a BS degree in sociology and a certificate in geriatric mental health, and she's currently pursuing a master of science degree in social work with a specialty in gerontology. So thank you, Sarah, so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. (laughs) This is great. I'm really excited about our conversation today. You have a lot of experience, and I think this topic that we're going to cover, we're going to, we're going to talk a little bit about planning for long-term care and how we can support folks who want to age in place, which I would say, I don't know about you, but I would say the majority of people that I meet, that is their wish. Their, their number one wish is to be able to remain at home as long as possible. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm finding as well when I work with older adults and families as they do want to stay in their homes as long as possible. And part of what I spend a lot of time working with these folks is to, you know, try to plan for the future and honor those wishes and then help them navigate when health crises come up or changes occur so that they can still be, you know, where they want to be and as safe as possible. Yeah, this is huge. I mean, I think that theoretically people just can make a general statement or wish that they want to age in place as they get older or as health conditions arise. But what are some of the things that you see? Because what I'm wondering is people can have the best intentions, you know, and think that they maybe have their house set up you know, for wheelchair or shower access, or they can do a lot of the practical things. But what other considerations would you say are really important to be thinking about? What are some of the things that people may not be aware of when they when they think they're going to age in place at home? And I think about my own parents who've been in our family home for, gosh, almost 45 years. And they're intent is to stay in in the home. And and I think, wow, you know, this is going to be really tough with all these stairs and different things as they get older and their health changes. And so I think that's one of the main things is really looking at that physical space and, and how is this going to, you know, be easy to navigate and grow with. And I, I think that part of our home is part of our identity. And it's hard to really envision ourselves sometimes in a different setting. So when there's health changes that occur, is that environment still going to be supportive? So I spend a lot of time working with older adults and their families and really trying to assess, 
you know, what are their, their goals? What is most important to them? And what do we need to do to get any services or, or supports in place as things change? Yeah, definitely. I mean, one of the things I'm thinking of when you're bringing that up is, again, the first thing we think about is, is the physical space, right? Like, are there tripping hazards in the house? Is, are there things that we can do to a home to improve the accessibility for someone that may need that? But what are some other areas to be thinking of? And I guess one of the things that I'd love to talk about is things like social support or emotional support or, you know, medical type things. Like there, there's so much more to remaining at home than just the physical space, right? So what are, yeah, what are you, what are you seeing when you work with families that want to remain at home? You know, I think it depends on how well connected they are with family members and friends and neighbors. It can be very isolating for older adults, especially who are in a caregiving situation. And so one of the, the most important things for older adults is to really build that social support system. So I could see that. Yeah. Just really, I I don't think people realize the, how important it is to have that social support, whether that's your close inner circle or your, your bigger outer circle. So yeah. Tell me what, what you've seen with some of your folks that you've worked with in that arena. Yeah, one of the things that I'm finding is happening to some people, especially when there's a diagnosis of dementia, Alzheimer's, or Parkinson's, Mm -hmm. is these folks start to withdraw. And so they do become more isolated to their homes. And so it has to be very intentional for the caregiver specifically to start reaching out and Fortunately, there's so many wonderful services in, I know our community, Laura, we have, we have great resources and services and whether that be a senior center or a caregiving agency, or, you know, some communities have like dementia friendly programs. And so really connecting with those groups and for caregivers to find an opportunity to connect with other caregivers, whether that be you know, just informally through a friend that they may know of, or even a support group can be huge, a huge source of emotional support and, you know, tips and tricks on how to to handle this huge responsibility of being a caregiver. So it, again, it really has to be intentional to to build that network. Yeah, I love what you're saying. One of the things that that I hear you saying is, that there are a lot of resources out there. One thing I hear from a lot of family members is they don't know what those resources are or how to access those resources. And so you just named a few. So I want to touch on those because no matter what community you're in, there are some basic services that we expect to kind of see in every in, well, I shouldn't say every, but most communities, <laughs> I, I really, I know that there are some rural communities that, that don't have some of those supports. But so you mentioned your local senior center, you mentioned 
caregiver support groups. You mentioned dementia support programs. And I would hope that most communities would have some form or version of those in everyone's area. One of the things about these resources that you're listing is that there are resources for the person who has dementia and there are resources for the person that is caring for someone who has dementia. Can you talk a little bit about that? Just the importance, I I guess what I'm saying is so often the focus is on the person that is receiving the care that there isn't a lot of focus or attention placed on the caregiver themselves, you know, the family caregiver themselves. And so under the umbrella of aging at home and aging in place and planning ahead, yeah, what are some things that a caregiver can be thinking about? So glad you brought this up because really what we know is that, and we see this in the work that we do, Laura, working with caregiving couples and and just the um, research behind it shows that caregivers, they really are putting so much love and time and attention into the care receiver, their loved one, that a lot of times their own um, needs are put on the back burner. And what we often will see if, if that support is not present from whatever resources are out there, that that caregiver, their health starts to suffer. And so it's really important that we do focus on the caregiver and help them develop ways to support themselves. And one of the things that's so important for caregivers is that they get a break, that they get a break from caregiving. And so this can be achieved through a respite program and it's really a time for them to recharge their batteries because if that's not happening, what we tend to see is caregivers who aren't tending to their own health needs and they end up with some really serious health conditions. And we have to keep that caregiver vital because their loved one depends on them mm-hmm. and they're so important too. So one of the things that I've done with a lot of families is to try to develop some strategies by bringing some services in the home so the caregiver can feel well-supported, can get that respite. A lot of times we're using some form of caregiving agency or families or friends coming in. And what that does, it helps to meet that immediate need for for the couple. But now we're also developing some tools so that let's just say something does happen and the caregiver becomes ill or they have to go to the hospital or heaven forbid they pass away. Now we have some support services that the loved one is already familiar with that can help in those times of crisis. And so that's a really important thing. And and the other thing that that does is it creates some peace of mind for the caregiver and for the family, knowing that I've got somebody that knows my my loved one and what they need. So if I need to go to the hospital, it's okay to go. Because I've actually seen some situations where I had a client who was a, a caregiver for his wife who had Alzheimer's. He was having chest pains and he really needed to go to the hospital. 
and he didn't want to go because he didn't want to leave his wife alone. And so, you know, it's times like that where we, we really want to make sure that, that there is support in place. I love, I love that you're saying this. I just, it, it's partially, it's like a combination between supporting the, the family caregiver with some respite, but it's also that piece of pre-planning that you were talking about, like by inviting in someone, whether that's a caregiver, a professional caregiver or a family caregiver or an independent provider, by developing that relationship earlier on in the caregiving journey, it not only provides respite for the family member, but you're right, Sarah, you're bringing up such a good point. It gives an opportunity for the whole family to develop a rapport with that care provider too. So that during a time of crisis, or if there was ever a time in the future that they needed someone desperately or full-time or, you know, due to an emergency, the rapport is already developed. You're not suddenly trying to bring in a new team and teach them about all the preferences and individual needs of the person that needs the support. And so, yeah, I just, I really wanted to highlight that. I think that that's a great point that for caregivers to consider if they're on the fence about hiring or bringing in extra help, just doing it sooner rather than later helps your future self. (laughs) Yeah, because it's it's really a technique to prevent caregiver burnout um, by introducing that respite care sooner. I mean, caregivers have such a hard job. It can be so demanding and So just remembering that they don't have to do it alone and it's not healthy to do it alone. And and going back to that whole um, social emotional piece, just to have somebody there to kind of walk this journey together is so important. And also when we're looking at people who do have dementia, when, you know, I've seen situations again, where, you know, the, the caregiving spouse was taken by ambulance to the hospital. And that's very traumatic for the person with dementia at home. And so to provide that comfort and reassurance of somebody that they're familiar with can really ease the stress for the person at home and the whole family. So, you know, it's just some different tools and techniques to to plan for the unforeseen. And, you know, I always say that if only we had a crystal ball, you know, to help us, but this is just one way to help plan for the future. I love that. I, I agree. <laughs> if we, if only we had a crystal ball, right? <laughs> I had pulled up, you, you just recently gave a presentation to some state employees up in Washington state on remaining at home, aging in place And one of the slides that I love so much, I just wanted to share with our folks here, if you don't mind, you have a slide uh, that's titled Signs That More Support Is Needed. And I just love this. And and if you don't mind, Sarah, I'm going to just kind of name some of those things off. I think it'll be really helpful for folks. And And then maybe we can highlight a couple of those. But so in your slide, signs that more support is needed, you list accessibility 
And in that, in that you're, you're mostly talking about accessibility to their home environment or access to healthcare and services. You mentioned safety. So you were looking at things like falls and food going bad in the refrigerator and access to heat and water and medications and driving and all those safety concerns. Then you mentioned hygiene and um, nutrition and mood, which is super important, especially during this day and age when we are seeing so much isolation in the world, especially with the aging population. You mentioned bill paying, missed appointments, pets, which I love. I love that you threw that in there because it's amazing how much someone's pets, how their pets can tell us how they are doing. You know, if their pet is in desperate need of a visit to the groomer, <laughs> or they're suddenly getting very obese because they're being fed multiple times a day, that can be very telling that maybe some more support is needed in the home. You mentioned household appliances, and in your point there was that there were complicated, you know, sometimes there's complicated functions in order to use those. And then the last thing that you mentioned was house and yard maintenance. I wanted to thank you, first of all, for giving that presentation that you did. And then second of all, I, I just wanted to highlight that slide because those are great signs that many people may not think of. You know, we think of kind of the obvious things like somebody has a fall or someone, you know, is losing a ton of weight or their confusion is increasing dramatically when and a family member notices when they come to visit. But some of these other things you listed are a little more subtle and just so important to be thinking about, especially if the goal is to remain in the home, right? We want to catch those things earlier rather than later. Yeah. And I, I'll tell you, you know, sometimes we have to be detectives. <laughs> yeah. So often when we work with older adults, we can ask them, you know, how are you doing? Are you having any challenges or is there anything, you know, you need help with? And, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of pride and there's independence is really important to, to all of us. And so sometimes just by asking those questions, we're not really getting the true picture. And so the things that we just, you just pointed out, uh, Laura, from that presentation, I think is really helpful, especially when there's family members who may be visiting their parents over the holidays, or maybe they haven't seen them for a while you know, these are the things to be kind of looking out for that, you know, it, it could be a sign that, that they're not doing as well as maybe they say, and, and that, that support really is needed. It could be a sign that the caregiver is not taking good care of themselves because they're exerting all their time and energy into their loved one's care. And so, yeah, just being really observant as to, you know, how they're actually doing in the home. And, mm -hmm. and if you're seeing any of those signs, it just indicates that more support's needed, whether that be bringing in more caregiving or maybe even transitioning to a different um, setting, a different environment. Mm -hmm. I love those points that you're making. I, I love what you said about the care, even if the person has a live-in caregiver, like, you know, a family member that lives with them, sometimes 
people don't notice, you know, when you're seeing it every day, you don't notice the significant decline that is happening or how quickly it's happening. And then you, I I love the point that you made is that sometimes that person that is the primary caregiver is struggling so much themselves, you know, from sheer exhaustion or just trying to keep things together or keep things straight that not only are they putting themselves at risk, you know, regarding their own health, but they may not be um, noticing or seeing what is happening with the, the person that's receiving the care too, or how quickly they're declining or how their needs are changing. It's just so easy, isn't it, Sarah, to, for things to just slip, you know, you, yeah, you start to prioritize the the necessary things and and then before you know it, lack of sleep, high amounts of stress, the sheer overwhelm of tracking things and you start to just do the bare minimum. And it's amazing how when that system starts to crumble, how quickly everything follows. And so, yeah, I, I just appreciate um, this conversation because again, just how we started out our conversation with how most individuals wish and desire to age in place, really, what does that look like? And how it's easy to age in place when there's no problems. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And then, you know, the problems may, it may be one big thing that happens all at once that kind of like, whoa, wakes people up and suddenly they have to develop a quick plan and they're in crisis. Or it may be the opposite where things just slowly start creeping in. And before you know it, you look back over a year or two and realize how much things have changed and how, how things have just snuck up on, on you. So, yeah. I've seen lots of people really age in place successfully. I mean, it just requires that support and and that connection with people. And and that's, that's the key. You know, I love that you said that too. Um, Because I think so many people assume that eventually they or their loved ones are going to have to move to a different setting. And I, I just, I love seeing examples of people that or situations that are kind of outside the norm or or really are more of the norm, but we just don't hear about it. So yeah, can you talk a little bit about, do you have any examples of folks that have been able to stay in their homes when otherwise, you know, maybe from an outside perspective or a professional's perspective, they, they would have thought that they would be better in, in a facility or... Yeah, I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it in all different ways. I mean, I think what's most important is to really, really understand what the what the individual's goals and preferences are, and being able to be flexible. Because I, I've certainly seen situations where a person is very clear that they want to age in place and die in their home but maybe it's not safe to do that. And so I think that that's something that's really important for everybody to be mindful of and and to not make promises, right? Mm-hmm. I've seen situations where family members have promised mom and dad they'll never 
you know, move them into a nursing facility. And then when the time comes that that's really what's needed, whether physically they need that level of care or financially, that's the the option that's available. It's a really hard transition. And so I think, you know, while it's not a specific example, whereas that just really having those conversations and, but certainly, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of families, as I said, successfully age in place where they are able to bring in round the clock caregiving in their homes. It does take a village. I know it's cliche, but it does require a lot of coordination. It requires a lot of support from family members, from doctors, from, you know, professional agencies, but it can be done. It can also be very expensive. And so those are some of the things to take into account is the cost. And so working with a professional, whether that be a care manager or a social worker or somebody that really knows how to navigate those systems is it's really important, I think. Mm, I love that. Yeah, the idea of building this support team. And kind of like we touched on earlier, that the earlier you do that, the better, instead of waiting for a time of crisis to do that. Because I think that when you have a good support team, whether that's, uh, I think, of family members and friends, but then also the professionals like the doctors and elder law attorneys and care managers and social workers, you know, you have an opportunity when when you develop that team sooner, you have an opportunity to develop that rapport and those relationships and know that you can trust that those professionals are going to look out for your best interest and your personal goals. Whereas trying to put that team together in a moment of crisis, there, there's a lot of faith in the folks that you are working with will have your best interest in mind and can understand that your goals are the goals that are paramount, not the, the companies or the business or the professional, but, but your unique family's goals, I think is super important as well. Sarah, you brought up so many things during this conversation, and I just want to kind of highlight some of those things before we finish this interview. And so I wrote five things down. I know we talked about so many other things, (laughs) but I'm going to run through them and you tell me if you would change or add or tweak any of those things. But the first thing that we talked of, you know, in regarding aging in place successfully is to consider the physical space of the environment. The second thing that we talked about was supporting the family caregiver in all these different ways, whether that's bringing in services to the home or that's creating a support team or paying attention to preventing burnout. So the third thing that I uh, wrote down was bringing in care. And, And that's kind of also supporting the family caregiver, but the idea of Bringing in, again, whether it's a family member or a professional caregiver to uh, have that rapport built before you're in a time of crisis can be super important. And then right at the end, you mentioned two things that I loved. That was having clear goals. And then the last thing was having also having flexibility. Those are beautiful examples of things to consider when you want to age in place. Is there anything you would add to that? You know, aging can 
be a lovely time of one's life and should be a lovely time of one's life. And so, you know, bringing in as many people to take part in that is just all part of this journey. So (laughs) I love it. Oh, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on and just having this conversation with me and throwing out these wonderful ideas and things to be thinking about. I know that so many people are on the whole spectrum of, you know, aging in place, whether they're at the beginning of thinking about this journey or they're in the middle of it, or they're more towards the end. I think it's just really important for folks to have access to this information. So thank you so much. (laughs) Well, um, I wanted to just thank everybody for joining us today too. And know that if you have any questions or comments about what we've been talking about today, we love, love, love hearing from you. We have a fabulous Facebook group that It's free to everyone. You can join. It's filled with an amazing community of folks that are on the caregiving journey. And everybody in the group is is caring for somebody with dementia. That Facebook group is called Get in the Lifeboat. Again, we would welcome you to hop in and join in on some of that support as well. So thanks again. And we will talk next time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute, nor is it meant to convey professional, legal, psychological, financial, or medical advice. If you can use such services, please seek them out from someone you trust.